Good morning, and the conversation begins here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon, and it's going to be a chilly WIP day, but no matter where you go, you're going to have hot conversation here on 94 WIP. And when we come back, we've got a guest coming back for further chat, Fran Stettelmeyer. He was a security consultant to Mr. Putin over there in Moscow, Russia. We're going to get his perspective on Putin the threat that Russia may or may not represent to America, and a whole lot more. When we come back here on 94 WIP, my name's Peter Solomon, the WIP time, 601. And we're back. It's conversation. My name's Peter Solomon. Our conversation this morning, Franz Stettelmeyer. He's got a um, whole lot to say about Vladimir Putin and Russia, and he's here to talk, to talk to us about his experiences with both. Good morning, Franz Stettelmeyer. Good morning, Peter. How are you today? I'm fine. Franz, um, let's cut right to the chase, as they say. Do you think we're ever going to see a summit between Putin and Donald Trump? Sorry, it was hard hearing you. Could you repeat the question? Do you think we're ever going to see a summit between Mr. Putin and Donald Trump? I'm sure eventually the two guys will have to sit down, but I don't think we're going to see that any time real soon. I think the tensions are very obvious, especially since finally Mr. Trump in the West has shown some colors down in Syria. Um, Mr. Putin has an additional problem that he's now battling in Russia, uh, his own people that are finally uh, growing sick and tired of all the corruption and the fleecing of the country that's taking place. And for him, he actually has to portray the United States as a real serious enemy. So, like I say, we might see down the line, but not immediately. What happened, though? Because there was a time when Putin and Trump looked like best buddies. Well, that is only true to a certain extent. I think Mr. Trump expected more of a relationship from Mr. Putin and Mr. Putin has not taken Mr. Trump very seriously. And I think Mr. Trump has caught on to that. So I think uh, it's a pivotal moment in history where even Mr. Trump now has to admit that Mr. Putin is not his friend and Russia is not an ally. Not an ally, but are they an enemy? Um, to a certain extent, yes. To a certain extent, yes. I would not go as far as to say that uh, uh, this includes the Russian people, but certainly... Uh, all and everyone that's now holding and wielding power in the Kremlin. Are there other people besides Putin wielding power? Oh, absolutely there are. I think uh, there is uh, several groups of people from the intelligence services, for example, the oligarchs and others, that all have their own interests and are all fighting for their zone of influence. So Mr. Putin, while portraying the sole actor uh, to the outside world and projecting the same image to the Russian people, there's many other interests at work. I think Mr. Putin's situation today is more delicate than it was some months ago. Delicate how? A delicate in as him not being able to guarantee the safety uh, the money aspect of things that has kept him in power so long. He had a wealth-sharing program, I call it, 
where he allowed his friends and his allies to help themselves to the riches of the country by, by fleecing it, by bringing their ill-gotten gains offshore, for example, to the United States, United Kingdom, Europe, etc. And now these people end up on sanctions lists. In other words, you cannot do business with them as a foreign entity. They cannot get to their funds here on this side of the ocean. So their future is somewhat threatened. And since Mr. Putin cannot upkeep his end of the bargain, um, you know, would not, it would not surprise me that these, these people now will go after him. How do you know so much about Mr. Putin? Uh, we have worked together between 1992 and 1996, a uh, very good-standing relationship, and I have been uh, helping the city of St. Petersburg at the time uh, to get a grip on, on, on uh, their problems with organized crime. We built a SWAT team for hostage rescue situations and counterterrorism, so we have had quite a, a, a good and long relationship. Hmm. I'm a student of history, so I've got a question from you from the historical sure. perspective. Is there much difference in your mind between communist Russia, Putin, and czarist Russia? I think the big difference is that Mr. Putin, his cronies, etc., are not interested in the fate of the country, in the fate of the people in the least. They are running a racket. They are running uh, the country like they would run a business, helping themselves to whatever they can. And there is no ideology involved. There is no communism. There is no Tsarism. There is just this idea, we are going to take what we want. We are going uh, to rule this place the way we want. We are going uh, to, uh, how would I say, take all decisions necessary. There was a term that he said very early on. He said, I want the dictatorship of law. When we listened to this, we understood law. What he meant was dictatorship. He wants to rule like Stalin, but he wants to live like Abramovich. Hmm. You almost make him sound like a gangster. Well, you know, I tell you what, it is very, very similar. And it's, it's, it's very hard to actually see the difference, except that here the gangsters took over a whole country. They controlled the police force, the intelligence services, the prosecutor's office, office, the courts, the parliament, any legislative executive organ of state is in their hands. So if, if you're Russian and you've got a problem down the line, I mean, you have no place to turn to. Hmm. One of the sanctions Donald Trump has used is expulsions of diplomats from our country, sending them home to Russia. Has that been effective? Is that effective? I think, I think anything is effective to a certain extent. I think it sends, a very, it sends a very strong signal that Russian behavior, the way they conduct themselves by assassinating other people outside Russia, is not acceptable to us. It doesn't fit with our standards. So I think it was a long time coming. I mean, just in England, they have reopened 14 cases of murders or killings which have been unexplained 
Hmm. I mean, this gives you a scope just for, for England. So imagine what else is going on around the world. This is, this is true, if the imagination boggles. Oh, yeah. But for everyone we throw out of the country, and I know there have been accusations that a lot of these diplomats, quote-unquote, are really cra- tracking Russian dissidents here in this country, Putin throws one of ours out of Moscow in Russia. Well, again, um, <clears throat> if you're going into a confrontation with someone, you have to be able uh, to take that risk. And, you know, I, for example, we work very closely in, in our days with the U.S. consulate uh, in St. Petersburg, which is now closed down, of course. And I know how important the guys were on the ground. And now there's no one there, practically, which is all understandable. The problem is we're coming to a situation where the internal relations from, of the diplomatic corps to the locals is actually secondary to our strategic security interests. Is it a bad thing that they've closed the consulate in St. Petersburg? I think it's a very bad thing. Imagine you cannot get a visa. You, you need anything now, you have to travel up to Moscow. You have certain uh, uh, relationship between the consulate and, you know, culture, politics, uh, dissidents, etc. That stuff basically dies off overnight. It becomes a lot more difficult to have the ear on the ground, as we say, which is so necessary to bring out vital uh, information on the political, on, on the social economic front, the information that's necessary for your government to conduct themselves. I know St. Petersburg, the formal capital, the former capital of Tsarist Russia, um, is big among tourists. Right. Does that impact tourists as well? I think, I think it impacts tourism, but, you know, it's not that you have, uh, you know, uh, 100,000 Americans going to Russia every year. You're talking mainly people coming from Finland, from Sweden, from the Scandinavian countries, uh, from places in Europe. They're doing river cruises, organized tours, etc. It's very much a, uh, uh, a cultural-type uh, exchange where people come to see the sites, um, you know, uh, get, get to enjoy the landscape, go do the ballet, etc. It's not so much that you would, uh, you know, have this thing like in uh, going down to Mexico <laughs> to the beach type scenario. Mm-hmm. And this type of tourism has been going back the last years, uh, keeping in mind the problems that have developed in the country. And you're listening to Conversation here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Franz Stettelmeyer. He's an expert on Russia. He's an expert on Vladimir Putin. What does Putin want from us? What's your sense? Um, ideally, our submission to accept him and his cronies the way they are and the way they want to conduct themselves. That is very much stuck in their head. This is why they have been trying to influence the West. This is why they are trying to buy Western politicians and journalists to do their bidding. And, uh, of course, uh, this is a lot cheaper than, than making us submit by waging a war which they just cannot afford. Russia has only one-twentieth of the GDP of, for example, the United States. So you can see on all accounts that militarily, economically, uh, they're not ready to do a larger-scale, longer-term conflict. 
But how can he think we'll submit when he's up to no good in places like Syria and the Crimea? Well, it's very simple. He's trying to come back to the world stage. Remember what Obama said? Russia is the best regional power. I think they're very much stuck. The second thing is he's deadly afraid someone is, is going to come along and just overthrow him. I mean, remind <clears throat> you the color revolutions he had in Ukraine, Georgia, and other places. And so when he saw what we, what we started uh, doing in the Middle East, I mean, first we have this Arab Spring coming up. Then the West says, oh, wow, this is great. We're going to support this movement. And then comes along Libya, and no one takes charge. And the thing is, now Libya, for example, is a failed state, but it also used to be a Russian ally. Now you've got the identical situation in Syria. So he's rapidly running out of friends, and he's also deadly afraid that people might take matters into their own hands. So he's ready and willing and able to support as far as they can afford to uh, these type of uh, you know, movements towards democracy. He's deadly afraid of democracy and the rule of law. But the Russian people, I know elections are a funny thing and they can be influenced, certainly, but the Russian people seem to have overwhelming support for him. Well, that, that only is true to a certain extent. I mean, if you are Russian and you walk down the street and a perfect stranger comes, comes up to you and says, do you like our President Vladimir Putin? I mean, given the history that they have, the first thing they're going to say is, of course I do. Because they don't know who the guy is. They still have in mind what happened under communism if he had a different opinion. So that does not surprise me. And the other part is a segment of Russian society, a certain age group relies on him, and that's the people between 50 and 75. They are the ones that have been going through the disintegration of the Soviet Union. They have been going through the hunger years. They have been seeing how the country's industries were privatized from one state-owned monopoly enterprises, then basically taken over by people taking advantage of the system. And so they have the only person, or identified the only person that can sort of keep them stable, and that would be Vladimir Putin. But the young generation, I'm talking people as, as, as young as 12 to you know, 30, 35, these guys are the ones that are actually going into the streets. They're the ones that do not watch state-controlled television, that don't read state-controlled newspapers. They're getting their information, their news off the Internet, raw. That would be Twitter, Facebook, and the equivalent Russian services. And they're going out into the streets with a conviction that they're sick and tired of corruption, that they want the rule of law, they want their freedom, and on top of all, they want their fair share. They want their piece of the pie, certainly. Exactly, exactly. And you cannot just go around and, and take it all, put it in a pocket, and bring it outside, you know, and have this, this formalistic face. I mean, every Russian official, including Vladimir Putin, has to declare his income every year. And they declare depending on their position, between 50 to 150,000 U.S. dollars, 
where they reside in private homes that are, that are worth 20, 30, 50, 100 million. They have yachts, <laughs> you know, for two and 300 million U.S. dollars, and it's unexplained wealth, and, and that stuff is being exposed step by step. Latest, most prominent uh, sort of <laughs> funny term, victim of exposure would be uh, Mr. Medvedev, who at one time uh, replaced Mr. Putin as, as president. Every single cabinet member has his stuff going on. He runs his own business on the side, so to say, uh, stealing as much as they, can, as they can. And people see it. It's there. It's obvious. It's on the Internet, and they're getting sick of it. Hmm. What signs do you see of change coming in Russia? Uh, they could come faster, as people might expect. It depends on the level of frustration, and it usually also depends on what I call grassroots movements. If, they, if the Russian opposition would be able to unite, which today they are, they are not united, um, it, could, it could go relatively quickly. The problem now is we have a changed uh, strategic landscape, technical landscape, in that Vladimir Putin has recently... Um, formed a new National Guard, which consists of members of the troops of Interior. Um, that unit is 435,000 people strong. They have ships, they have tanks, they have airplanes, they have helicopters. And they're practically under his own command, direct command, and that is his uh, insurance against popular uprising. Whether or not these troops would actually shoot at their own population is a big question. I would not think so, knowing the mentality. Hmm. You have a book, um, Welcome to Petrograd. To Putingrad. Putingrad, thank you, Putingrad. <laughs> What's in the book? Uh, the book basically reflects my own memoir, my time in Russia, and then uh, I was working with Putin very closely, and uh, we were expropriated in 1996. And Putin, from being my friend and associate, changed sides and now was on the other side of the aisle. And I'm describing a long-term conflict with the Russians and how we overcame odds and actually uh, managed to get our compensation by foreclosing on their trade missions in various countries around uh, Europe. And it is actually a book that explains the Russia we have today and the Putin we have today and, and the mess that has become of that place and how we can get over this mess. Do you ever worry, though, given the book and given what you have to say, that somebody might be careful to you with a little bit of poison? <laughs> you know, I, I don't worry about stuff like this because otherwise I couldn't sleep at night. But let me put it this way. Uh, the whole idea is uh, the arbitrary behavior of the Russians with people that criticize them, with people that come out of their own system and basically change colors is a very Russian affair, I would say. And so when you look at the list of all the people that got killed very, very few Westerners are on that list. Predominantly, um, it, it's all connected with 
you know, crime, money laundering, etc. So I, as a person, I'm not involved in any of this type of things. Okay. So many people have been mentioned in the Mueller investigation of Donald Trump. Um, people with ties to Russia, people who have met with Russian folk on behalf of the Kremlin. Do you think that's going to lead to anything? Honestly, I don't think so. Um, because you, I'm, I'm talking now, sorry, uh, the, the time of Mr. Trump being president and running for president, there was no Russia collusion as far as I'm concerned. You had certain elements that went in and were trying to recruit people around Mr. Trump. That is a given. We don't know how successful they were. I think uh, in, in several cases, like for example with Mr. Flint and others, they might have been successful. Um, I do not think uh, Mr. Trump was actively engaged here. I think he was approached. I think his people were approached, but not necessarily by people who were, who were literally showing their true colors. When you remember the uh, meeting in Trump Tower with, with Mrs. Wislonitskaya, the closest connection she has to Russia is she was at one time working for the prosecutor general of the Russian Federation, Chaika. But essentially, she was representing interests of oligarchs that have ended up or were in fear of ending up on the Magnitsky list, on the sanctions list. And they were trying to lobby uh, Mr. Trump Jr. and the other guys into giving in, lifting these things, and taking them off any, any future sanctions list. And that was very much an affair of private, of commercial co uh, character, as I would say. And this is also the relationship Mr. Trump has to Russia until that point in time. He has done business with the Russians. There is no question. There's many, many people that have been buying real estate, doing things here in the United States and other places with Mr. Trump's companies. It is an open secret that the Trump empire has borrowed quite a bit of money from organizations like the Deutsche Bank, who also have been money laundering for the Russian mob, Russian politics. They called it the largest money laundering operation the world has ever seen. It's the first time they're recruiting a whole bank to do this. So I'm sure that uh, some of that money <clears throat> that uh, was extended in the form of credit to Trump and others uh, was extended for a particular purpose, not necessarily to support his companies, but to get the money cleaned. And we're talking with my guest, Franz Stelmeyer, author of Welcome to Putin Grad, an expert on Russia and Vladimir Putin. Now, Franz, stay with me. I've got to run a few commercials. Absolutely. We'll be, we'll be back in just a bit. The WIP time, 6.28. And we're back. It's conversation, our conversation with Franz Stelmeyer, author of Welcome to Putin Grad, an expert on all things Russian and Vladimir Putin. All right. Hello. The, hello. The people around Donald Trump, I think, are fascinating. You mentioned General Flynn as one. What about Paul Manafort? you have anything to say about him? Uh, you know, Paul Manafort has been in the Russian system 
quote unquote for a very long time. Uh, he has done uh, 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 some um, campaigns in Ukraine for 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 Russia. In other words, supporting Russia-friendly candidates. Uh, and the Kremlin has been throwing money at that, and he was one of the the people that benefited. Obviously, he was uh, very well connected to several oligarchs, including Mr. Deripaska, uh, who has brought court action to him because he was trusting Mr. Manafort with certain funds. Uh, he was supposed to hold head of fiduciary duty. And then Mr. Manafort apparently uh, ran off with the money, which led to a lawsuit. So he's, uh, uh, for this way, uh, quite a colorful person. But he does understand uh, Russia. He does understand the Kremlin. And he's very well connected there. That he, of all people, would, would end up in the Trump camp as a campaign manager was, was quite interesting for me. I found it very fascinating. Fascinating why? Um, because you would think that uh, Mr. Trump's camp would, would let people to see who has an exposure. I mean, Manafort was an accident waiting to happen. The same is true with Mr. Flynn. You know, if you go over there and, uh, you know, Russia today has a 10-year anniversary and they pay you whatever to attend, I mean, that is stuff somebody knows. <laughs> This is not something, I mean, you can hide because, I mean, that thing went on television. It was on the air. And uh, how, I mean, this is, if that's going to be a national security advisor, you really have to worry about stuff. And I'm, I'm explaining in my book, Welcome to Putingrad, how the Russians go about it, you know, how they recruit these type of guys, how they sweet talk them, and how they, uh, you know, pamper them with money and other freebies. Now, speaking of recruiting people, what are your thoughts on the supposed wild night Mr. Trump had in Moscow with some ladies of the evening? You know, uh, again, that it could happen is, is, of course, possible. You know, but you could do the same thing in, in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, or in London, or wherever. I don't think that is a big difference there. That it did happen, I cannot say. Uh, but... What, whatever the case is, uh, it's, it, at, at that time when it took place, it was literally a private affair. I don't think it's connected with his public life. I don't think this is the type of stuff that would, uh, you know, endanger Mr. Trump's uh, compromise his position as now president. Um, I, I don't think that is, that is really a valid concern that I would share. Uh, that people don't like it for ethical reasons and other reasons, I would understand. But in reality, I don't think it has any influence, any bearing, if it take place, if it took place. Well, again, if it took place, it's rumored that there are tape recordings and photographs. Yeah, so what's going to happen? You think the Russians are going to publicize that? Well, the threat to. Yeah, well, so they, they threaten to. But, you know, a threat like this, if, if I would be in Mr. Trump's shoes... I basically sent him straight to hell. Excuse my language. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, the Trump boys, um, Don Jr. and Eric, they're rumored to have some interesting relationships with Russia as well. Sorry, who was that? I didn't hear. Yes, the Trump boys, Donald yeah. Jr. and Eric. Yeah. Your thoughts on them? 
I'm sure they do. I mean, don't forget uh, uh, Mr. Trump's sons are also somewhat of socialites. New York is a very attractive place for Russians, especially, uh, you know, people their age. So, I mean, I would, I would think that would be just a logical conclusion, especially knowing that uh, Russians uh, prefer to take their assets outside, prefer to purchase their real estate here, prefer to do their investments here and have you know, second, third homes, and sometimes even second and third passports. And their family is here, uh, their kids go to school, etc. So there's very strong ties to New York, of course. And so that, that'd be a given. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. When, in the beginning, when R- Russia, the Kremlin, and Donald Trump were making nice to each other, um... They paid him a lot of compliments, and he paid Putin a lot of compliments. Mm-hmm. Was that part of the seduction? Of course it is. I mean, there is this um, meeting with Mr. Lavrov and the Russian ambassador, what was his name, Kisilov or something, in the White House. And then there was the big uproar that Mr. Trump has shared some uh, intelligence information with the two gentlemen he was not supposed to share because they were coming from another country, from somebody else's intelligence services. And that is a direct result. I think, Mr. Trump, if you're nice to the man, he's willing to, you know, uh, to share things with you. I think it's just, that's a, I'm sure that's a character trait. I think he's a very nice person. I think at the time he also was not experienced enough to understand what the Russians are doing to him. I think he now has overcome it. I think the, we have a pivotal point in history where Mr. Trump finally understands that Putin is not his friend, despite of assurances to the contrary. And I think he doesn't want to be played like a fool by Mr. Putin and the people around Putin. All right, let's, go, let's, go, let's get back to today. With Russia out there in places like Syria with Russia perhaps involved in North Korea, Russia in the Crimea, Crimea, Russia involved in various places in Africa. It begins to feel sometimes, though, like we're dancing on the edge of a war. What do you think? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think uh, what had to be done in Syria to send a message has been done. It has been successful. You could see that there was no reaction from the Russian side except words and threats, etc. Russia is in no position to start a longer-term, larger-scale conflict with the West, with NATO, with the United States. It's not going to happen. Putin is not suicidal. Definitely not. And the nuclear option is not on the table. Not seriously. So... I would think that it was very important that we show our colors as the West. I think it's very important that we send the message, the buck stops right here, that the literal red line, which Russia and everybody, Syria did not accept from Mr. Obama. And then Mr. Obama basically had made an empty threat. I think they got used to the fact that we are just shooting off our mouths and we are not following through. I think that stance has changed. 
I would expect that the Russians would tread more lightly and would not try to become as aggressive as they have been trying to be over the last couple of years. Okay. What do you think Donald Trump should do at this point? I think he should uh, steady his course. Um, you know, basically let his people do the work, let the military do the work, uh, and, you know, the less he talks publicly about Russia and Putin at the moment, the better it is, because we had in the past these mixed messages, I mean, Nikki Haley or, you know, Rex Tillerson and, and Matt Mattis, etc. Mr. Trump is saying one thing, and then they're saying the exact opposite. So this, this sending of mixed signals, I think it's very important to get that under control. I think he's, he's trying to now. I think it's very important to be strong, to show resolve, and to tell Russia, you know, your way of doing things politically, your way of running a government, a judiciary system the way you do, is just not acceptable for us. So if you want to do business with us, per se, then you have to abide by our rules. Otherwise, we're not doing business with you. And that would be the stance that I would recommend that uh, would work best under circumstances. You raise another interesting name, though, Rex Tillerson. Rex, when when, um, the oil company had close ties to Russia, were they a good thing or bad thing for him to have as Secretary of State? I think Mr. Tillerson did an outstanding job as far as external relations are concerned. I mean, I have many friends in the State Department, so they are not quite so happy, uh, given all the staffing problems, budget problems, etc., that they have been having over the years, uh, over the year Mr. Trump is in office. But generally speaking, uh, uh, Mr. Tillerson, I mean, he is a very experienced uh, uh, oil executive. I mean... He did business with difficult states, so I thought it was a, was a natural uh, to have a man like him uh, for, for the position of Secretary of State. I think there is a big difference in mentality, uh, not in mentality in the, in, the, in the English sense of the word, but in the, in the way he conducts business compared to Mr. Trump. I think there might be a little bit of a personal friction there. But he was doing a good job. Now, the new Secretary of State, I, I do not, I do not uh, know. But, you know, he, he, might, he might still surprise us. Who knows? Well, but the new Secretary of State, Mr. Pompeo, mm-hmm. um, left a job of being America's top spy. Right. I wonder if that's something Putin would respect or fear. I don't, you know... Putin doesn't respect anybody. That's his whole problem. Uh, respect is something um, that he portrays, but he doesn't really mean it. Um, he's a, after all, I mean, he's, he's a trained recruiter. He recruited sources for the KGB in the day. His job is to project uh, a, a, an image that comes very close to your own personality in order to recruit you or to lure you in. And that is how he will 
be talking to Mr. Pompeo or to Mr. Trump or anybody else for that matter. But knowing Putin, I think he sees himself as superior to anyone else. And until not so long ago, that picture in his mind for him was true because, after all, he upset uh, the relationships between the Western countries by sowing distrust. He influenced uh, the outcome of the U.S. elections. Um, he managed to start a, a real lively debate on, on Russia collusion here in this country, etc. So as far as he was concerned, from a professional point of view, I'm talking now the intelligence officer on the one hand side, the president with strategic interest on the other side, Putin thinks he has done everything right and he has outsmarted everybody. I think we are now seeing that this picture, even for himself, is fading. He's, in my opinion, he's very much in a survival mode, and that is connected with his internal problems, with corruption, etc. And his biggest problem that he has, he cannot go anywhere. He cannot just resign, because chances are somebody's going to lock him up along the way. Or worst-case scenario, when he goes and demands his money from, from the oligarch friends who are holding it for him, they might just kill him in order not to pay him. So he's actually in a very tough, tough spot. Hmm. And we're talking with my guest this morning, Franz Stelmeyer, his new book, Welcome to Putingrad. We're talking about Vladimir Putin, Russia, and the whole thing. My name's Peter Solomon. All right. Where do we go from here? as a country. Donald Trump stays the course. There's still going to be all this jumping up and down. Putin is probably still going to try and influence elections, not only in our country, but other countries. I, I think so. I don't, I, I don't see that he will really change his opinions. I think he will think twice about uh, their behavior in the past. In other words, helping themselves to other countries or regions of other countries. I think he will think twice of allowing his intelligence services to keep on carrying out uh, extrajudicial killings, if not contract killings, in other countries, etc. Um, I would expect him to ratchet up um, the uh, suppression of opposition in Russia. I don't think we have seen it all yet. I would also expect him to try to identify other ways to get at us where he does not necessarily leave fingerprints. I mean, the Russians have been very bold, and they really didn't care whether or not they were connected with all the bad things that took place. You think he's that creative? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's not a productive man. You know, don't... I mean, whenever people talk about Putin in the past, especially, I mean, the, the way the Western press has written up Putin and his cronies is quite astonishing to me. I mean, these guys dump 20, 30, 40 million dollars in ads and other, other things into the U.S. election, which costs, you know, two billion to run for both camps. And, you know, you, you can see just by sheer numbers, it's not going to make a big difference anywhere. But writing, writing that stuff up 
leads uh, to, uh, you know, as far as Putin is concerned, they, they translate that stuff for him. And he reads that he did, he did it. He was the one who determined the outcome. Putin believed that stuff. So as far as he's concerned, and not until long ago, he couldn't do anything wrong. He was winning, both as, as an ex-intelligence guy and especially as, as Russian president, but more importantly, he's destabilizing us, and he is still fleeing the country with his friends, and he wants to keep on doing so he would like to have us accept what they're doing. And thank God this is not happening. It occurs to me as we're talking, Franz, that one thing Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin have in common is a huge ego. I would agree. I would agree. Um, the difference is that Mr. Putin can cont control his ego quite a bit better than Mr. Trump. You know, and I think Mr. Mr. Trump now being in office is learning a little more, uh, but Mr. Putin has is, is a very controlled guy when he has to be. <clears throat> so you know his outbursts come uh, behind the scenes, whereas Mr. Trump, uh, you know, is a more public uh, person with that. But both when you criticize them, when you insult them, when you in their eyes, betray them, etc. I mean, these guys will not forget. And this has to do with their vanity, with their fear of not being taken too seriously. Mr. Putin, I mean, you know, he's a rather short guy. So for him, it's very important to come across as a decisive, uh, you know, Marlboro-type man persona who's got things under control, etc. I mean, that's, that's what he portrays. It's not really so, because Russia is a huge place. And you cannot literally control it if, uh, you know, I mean, you have problems controlling countries the size of Switzerland. So think how difficult it must be to do that same thing in Russia. That Marlboro man image he has of himself, does that explain why there's pictures of him with no shirt on? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the pictures are, are, are not so much meant for the local population. I mean, we in the West are laughing about this stuff. I think it, 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 uh, it is something that he likes to see. I really think so. He's, he's surrounded by people, um, you know, they have, they have this term preemptive obedience. They read things from his eyes. He doesn't even have to move his lips. That's how he, you know, that's how he's treated in the Kremlin. And if you have been in a position of power for so long, then you finally start believing the things to be true around you, the things that are, are true what people ever tell you in order to stay in your good graces. And it has happened to many others in history uh, that they fell over this, this overestimation of themselves and their importance. What do you think it'll take to get him out of office? I say, can you say again, please? What do you think it'll take to get him out of office? Um... I think at the moment, right now, given the fact that the West now is cutting off funds of his friends, etc., it's not unlikely somebody might be able to remove him from office by force. I mean, chances 
for that scenario have grown uh, exponentially. I don't think he would ever step aside, fearing that he might end up in jail or worse. So he's going to be more or less like Ceausescu, in a way. He's sort of trapped in his own game. He's got no place to go. And Mr. Ceausescu ended up shot. I know, and I think he knows that. <laughs> I can almost feel sorry for the man. And <laughs> well, you know, this is, again, it's, it's like I write in my book, Welcome to Putingrad. Uh, when I dealt with Vladimir Putin, I mean, he was a straight shooter. He was a handshake-type upstanding guy. And when he went to Moscow, the whole thing changed. And today he's a completely changed man. And uh, I could have never dreamt, uh, not that he would not go places in, Russia, in Russian politics, but that Russia would turn out in, 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 and morph into this kleptocracy of the grandest scale of this, you know, state-organized crime-type enterprise. I mean, that just is just uh, something I, I, I still have problems, you know, um, uh, looking at Putin uh, in the old days and looking at him now, and that he's starting wars which cost uh, lives for tens of thousands of people in Europe. You know, we, we didn't have a land grab in, in, in Europe since Georgia when they got Abkhazia, and the next thing was Crimea, and then they're trying to do the same thing in, uh, next door in, uh, in, in eastern Ukraine, etc. Unthinkable, unthinkable. And he no longer shows any, any, any empathy for anything or anybody. And that is a very disturbing thing. If you could ask him one question, you and he could get together for dinner or drinks, what would you ask him? If he would ask me? Yeah, what would you ask him? What, what I was going to say, what the hell happened to you? What is wrong with you? I mean, the problem is it, it, the, the, the question wouldn't make any difference because what he has done cannot be undone. I think that's the biggest regret that I have. I mean, there's no going back. If it would be just about money, you know, stealing money, fleecing the country, etc. now, you know, that is one thing. But the moment it started costing lives, and I'm not talking about few lives, I'm talking many lives, I think there's no coming back from that, and that is unfortunate. I think the truth is power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I'd like to say thank you to Franz Stelmeyer, his new book, Welcome to Putingrad. It's been an enlightening conversation. Thank you, Franz. Thank you, Peter. My pleasure. And it's you been have a nice weekend. You Bye-bye. too. Bye. And it's been Conversation here on 94 WIP. We'll be back after these messages.